0: everybody welcome back to another episode of the Fearcast. cast this is the podcast dedicated to ocd anxiety anxiety spectrum disorders uh, anything that you can be afraid of phobias social anxiety that sort of stuff just people in general um the stuff that we can be afraid of this is the podcast dedicated to all of those things more importantly how to challenge them beat them punch them in their face and get on with your life to in short to hopefully get over them as best as we possibly can, or minimize how much impact they have in our life. anyways, all of those things. This is what this podcast is all about. This is a question and answer based podcast where you, the listener, get to send in questions to me, the podcast host, and uh, I will answer those questions on this podcast. So there is usually a hodgepodge of questions that I get. I get a bunch of questions, and thank you to all of you listeners out there who are sending in questions, who are participating in this process. It is a delight to read all of them, to see them come in. Um, I flag them, I read them, I consider which ones are going to go. Generally speaking, I kind of take, um, you know, know, first come first served sort of thing. Um, And uh, these three questions that I'm going to answer today um, are just that they are uh, in the order that I got them. And I appreciate all of you that sent them in. Um, I suppose I've never introduced myself for all of you new listeners. I'm Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician. And I specialize in the treatment of OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. Um, so generally speaking, at the very top of this, I would have some sort of spiel to give um, about a way to manage anxiety, a way to manage the stress of life. Because um, we've got it. We're all in it. We're all dealing with stress in our life right now. I know I, I am. Um, health stuff, life stuff, money stuff. Um, general stuff right but i hope everybody out there is doing well i'm excited because this coming weekend on um i am recording this actually on friday uh starting next friday a week from today so this will probably be released on monday um that then weekend anyways the, OC, the IOCDF conference is coming up, and it's very exciting. I'm really excited. I registered. I'm going to go see uh, or ho- hopefully participate in a bunch of different talks. Um, I'm unfortunately not speaking this year. I was going to speak when they were going to do it in public, or in public, when they were going to do it in, in real life, uh, when we were all going to be meeting in Seattle. But um, unfortunately, the plague happened, and it shut everything down. You all know. And um, so they're going to be doing it all online. So... My goal is in the future, when we do an IOCDF conference, that I will take all of my podcasting stuff, and we are going to ship it all over the country to wherever it goes. And I'm hoping to grab some people, interview them. Uh, If there's a talk, get them to chat a little bit about what they want to talk about, stuff that uh, I find interesting, stuff that I think would be relevant uh, to all of you listeners. But alas, that is not going to happen this year. But if anybody else out there is interested, check out the IOCDF conference. I believe they are all pre-recorded. The question and answer stuff is going to happen afterwards, to the best of my knowledge. But um, go check them out if you're interested in learning a little bit more about OCD, a little bit more about um, how to manage uh, your anxiety, learn about the tools and tricks and techniques that that, uh, I'm trying to teach, that other therapists are trying to teach. So, we can all get on the same page and learn to manage these thoughts and these feelings more effectively, so you can again get back to your life. To get on to the questions, as you might have seen, this episode I'm marking as not safe for work, NSFW. So, this is for adult content only. Now, that's not necessarily the case. So, hear me out. I am going to do one question at the very beginning that is perfectly fine for little ears if they would like to listen. Um, and, um, You can listen to that and then I will send off a warning and then we are going to answer the uh, adult questions and they are HOCD related. There are two HOCD questions. Um, It's two with an asterisk and you'll hear what the asterisk is about later. But um, so the first half is going to be incredibly fine. The second half will be it'll still be fine. It's just going to be addressing some more adult content. So you can choose to continue to listen on at your own um, peril or you can uh, turn it off and get on with your merry day. So, this first question comes from Rebecca. Rebecca says, My young adult son has religious OCD. We are a Christian family. When it is at its worst, he takes scripture, sermons, articles on faith out of context to prove what a sinner he is, must lack salvation, or does not love God. In these times, I don't know how to help him. I know the rules of OCD. Do not give reassurance. Do not accommodate compulsions. But with religious OCD, how do you use scripture as it's intended to comfort when it is part of the compulsions? It just leads to what feels like giving reassurance or ruminating with him. Or, he finds something in the verses to prove he must not be saved. It's sometimes impossible to get him to see how he's distorting the verses. Cognitive distortions are a big problem for him in general as well. Should I stop sending verses meant to comfort? He is not in therapy at this time. He has had OCD slash ERP teletherapy in the past, but with little progress. All right, Rebecca, thank you so much for that uh, question. And um, man, I'm sorry you're going through all of this. I'm sorry your whole family is having to struggle with, with this. I find this is one of the biggest problems when it comes to treating religious OCD specifically because there there is a goal there's a hope of some of these scriptures to be able to use them as encouragement as comfort um, and that is the that's what the vast majority of folks use and, and apply scripture to um, but in the cases of religious OCD religious scrupulosity oftentimes those verses are taken out of context, twisted, messed up, and cognitive distortions can can run amok within them and twist them into something that they ultimately are not intended or things are read into them that ought not to be read into them. And I think this is actually the, one of the major problems I see when working with uh, group clients um, who initially start their treatment uh, journey by going to see religious counselors and religious counselors, as, as good as they are or good as they, they hope to be, sometimes they are approaching religious scrupulosity from the perspective that the person that they're working with is the average Christian or the average fill-in-the-blank whatever religion it, they are working with. So, they're going to come at it from a reasonable perspective they're going to come at it by looking at the person's uh, religious beliefs, the way they're interpreting things, the way they're understanding the gospel, the way they're understanding the idea of grace and salvation and forgiveness and sin and all of that stuff, and talking about it as if it were you and me, as if it were someone who does not suffer from that, does suffer from this specific type of OCD. The problem then comes just like with Any form of OCD is that the little OCD brain latches on to very specific things, ignores other information, blows other things way out of proportion, applies a black and white logic to it or a catastrophic result to it, and applies doubt across the board so that any information you could provide, any sort of reason you could provide is met with a yeah, but, but what if, and it undermines the entire point of it. You can think about it as, this person's faith has been hijacked by terrorists. And my general stance is, I don't negotiate with terrorists. So, while your main question is, should I stop sending him verses meant to comfort? I'm going to say, yes. And I know that may be very hard for you, but what it's not going to do is it's not going to continue to light the fires or continue to provide a point of argument with your son. Because your goal certainly is to try to disprove these thoughts at least I'm assuming that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to send him verses, I, again, I would assume that these are verses that would hopefully undermine his fear, um, provide evidence that, um, that that he's not as much of a sinner as he likes to think he is, or that he does in fact have salvation, or that, um, that God does in fact love him no matter what, or that he can love God no, no matter what, or something to that effect. But these verses are always going to be met with a yeah but and a what if. Because no matter what, we can not have 100% certainty of all these things, and that's really scary. And OCD latches onto that, and it recognizes we can't have 100% certainty, because we can always say, well, how do we know? Did did God send down the dove and light my tongue on fire? And how do I know for certain that, that, that I have that salvation? We don't have that little button on our body that pops out like the chicken's done that says, hey, you have salvation now all up in your body. We don't have that. So, because of that, there's always going to be a, are, are, are you sure? How do you know? and his brain is doing that. So, for a period of time, I would encourage you to hold back on sending those verses for comfort. When he is getting uh, overrun with his obsessive thoughts, to instead of trying to argue with the content of the thought, instead, support him with the emotion of the thought. So, support him that, that he's in pain, that he must be so confused, that he must be so scared, that he must be so sad, and to be with him on that. And to see what you can do to help him and to encourage him. Offer yourself as someone who will listen and who will empathize with him. And to be honest with him, and you can say, I'm not going to provide you reassurances. And if it seems like he's seeking reassurance, say, you know what, son, whatever his name is, this sounds like it's your OCD and and I'm not going to answer that. Or another thing that can happen is if he's constantly trying to rope you into a discussion on theology, and God, and doctrine, and you know the intricacies of different interpretations of various verses, you can say, you know, I love you, but I, I don't want to do that. And I'm not going to do that because it only feeds your anxiety. Now, I'm going to assume that he doesn't think this is OCD, but is instead thinks it's real, meaning he is very fused with his thought. And it's going to be an uphill battle for you to try to fix that delusion, in other words, or or to try to speak through that. And I would encourage you not to, but instead, treat him like your son. You still love him, you still encourage him, you still want to spend time with him, I'm assuming. So, go do those things, right? invite him to go out with you and the rest of the family to go do fun things. Um, Intentionally make make some time to go do some fun things together. Ask him how his day is going otherwise. But when it starts to get into the conversation about religion or spirituality, and it seems like it's going down that compulsive route, pull back and say, you know, this is a topic that, that I don't really want to talk about because it's unhelpful. We get into this unhelpful cycle. And you can then say, you know what, if you want to talk about therapy and working with a therapist, we can talk about that. And if he says no, well, okay. It sounds very cold to not help someone, seemingly help someone, when they are in pain, when you could theoretically do something that would alleviate that pain. But hold back on it this time. If he's refusing to do treatment or refusing to participate in treatment-related things, that's not on you. It's hard to see him not participate in something that perhaps you know works or you know can help. But if he's unwilling to do it, that's on him. Now, you can continue to encourage him to think about treatment, to present him the option. Um, Feel free to send him various articles on OCD and OCD treatment, um, various things related to challenging the obsessive thought. But sending him specific verses, he's likely to just continue to go down that path of, of trying to prove or disprove. Instead, if he wants to talk about OCD treatment, that's a different story. Perhaps you'd be willing to talk about that. But you're not going to participate with the OCD voice when it's there. And you know when it sounds like it's that OCD voice. So when it's there, don't, don't negotiate with terrorists. Back away from that. Now, depending on who he is, depending on the type of relationship you have, and uh, whether or not he can take a joke and to take sarcasm, um, you could make a joke out of his um, pain. Well, that sounds very insensitive, but when, you know, if he's coming to you and saying that um, you know he's worried about what a sinner he is, you could go, "Oh, and you are the worst kind of sinner, the worst." I've never met a bigger sinner than you. There are a lot of people who sin out there, but you are the king of sinners. You're probably going to go to hell any minute now. In fact, I'm going to go sit on the other end of the couch because you're probably going to get sucked right into hell right now. Now, that, again, may be very intense, but if, if it sounds so out there, so exaggerated. He may see that as joking. It may pull him back in. But again, you know your son. Um, and if it's not, gonna, it's not going to um, help, don't do that. And then another way to think about this and why you shouldn't be giving him verses is, let's say it was an alcohol problem. You wouldn't continue to like put a little beer outside of his door when he's having trouble with drinking, or when he's you know he doesn't have booze and he's going through, um, uh, he's going he's detoxing or he's having DTS. You wouldn't say, oh, here's a beer, this will help. Now, if he's having DTS, obviously you take him to a hospital, right? That's the important thing to do. This is where the analogy falls apart. Point is, you wouldn't. Keep providing him the thing that is the problem for him. And right now, the verses are the problem. More importantly, the interpretation of what the verses mean for him are the problem. And he's very sucked into the content of the obsession. And we're not going to engage in that content of the obsession any longer. So, hold back on those verses for now. Keep encouraging him to talk about OCD treatment. And at some point, he is either going to realize that he's gone down this path long enough and he has sacrificed and lost so much because of the obsession that he will say, all right, I'll give therapy a try. And it may sound hard, but he may have to suffer the natural consequences to continuing to engage in his obsessions. He may snap out of it. He may come to the realization that he has sacrificed so much for the hope of destroying his OCD. But ultimately, the goal would be to create an environment where that OCD is not getting fed and not getting encouraged, but is instead, he sees it, it's not working out any more, longer. So hopefully he will jump back on the treatment train. So I hope this helps. And Rebecca, thank you so much for the question. All right, everybody, this is the part of the show that is turning into the not for little ears part. We are going to be talking about adult themes. We are going to be talking about um, sex and sexuality and things of that nature. So if you do not want to listen to this part, if you do not want the other listeners to be listening to this thing to listen to, turn it off now. Run from it now. But if you are brave, if you are an adult, if you are an adult who is brave, who can listen to such things, here we go. The first question comes from Joe. Joe asks, Before HOCD hit me hard, I used to watch gay porn. He specifically says, I am a male. And I would have gay fantasies. I never used to think about it too much because I knew I liked girls and wanted to be intimate with one. Now, after a girl asked me if I was gay... I use those fantasies and gay porn against me. It's really depressing and scary. I find that it's a sign that I'm gay slash bi. During this pandemic, it's giving me a ton of time to think. I wish I had the answers to what I am. I do find some guys attractive and then this will lead to intrusive thoughts sexually about them. I don't know where to turn. My life is very confusing. I hope you can use this on your podcast, because a lot of people in my Reddit group worry about this issue. Thank you. Alright, now before I answer it, I'm going to read the next question from Jake. Jake says, Can watching porn at a young age feed into HOCD? I feel like I got desensitized, and it led to watching more taboo things, like gay porn. Even though I consider myself straight my whole life, I've had gay fantasies about guys. Is this even normal? Not looking for reassurance, but I've enjoyed the gay porn and fantasies. I think I have HOCD, but I'm so confused." Okay, here's why I'm going to treat these as the same question, because, one, as you heard, they're essentially the same question with a little bit of nuances here and there. Two, they arrived on the same day. So they both hit my email inbox on the exact same day. Curious. They also, Joe and Jake was the names that I was given. Similar. Hmm curiouser. Uh, In addition, the email addresses, they looked very, very similar. It was like bobsmith8592 at gmail. And the other one was like Larry Davidson 81242 at gmail. So those looked very, very similar. Hmm. So yes, they are different email addresses, but they are very similar. There are different names, but they're very similar. They are different content slightly, but they are very, very similar anyhow they are they might be two separate questions from Joe and Jake and I appreciate your questions Joe and Jake if Joe and Jake you're the same person you're on notice buddy you're on notice okay So this is actually a subject that I I run into quite a bit, uh, working with HOCD. Um, HOCD and porn can have a pretty detrimental relationship with one another. Porn and POCD, porn and relationship OCD. Um, Porn generally doesn't help OCD, just across the board. So I hear these questions a lot, and I see these issues a lot, where pornography use has a negative impact on someone's anxiety and contribute to some of the OCD subtypes. O- HOCD is one that it happens a lot in. I also see its impact in relationship OCD and its relationship in POCD. So I'm seeing these questions essentially as a, as, a, a, as a question about identity, more about identity than sexuality. So more about who it is that I am, quote, what it is that I am, and what does it mean about me that this thing has happened and that I am interested and in, into this thing, so typically with the HOCD we don't have we don't see folks with HOCD also having egocentric thoughts about gay sex nor do they commonly enjoy using gay porn more often than not someone with HOCD is going to find those thoughts uh, uh dystonic they're going to find them uh, gross disgusting uncomfortable personally threatening anxiety provoking they're gonna not they're gonna they, they can't stand the fact that they think these thoughts they regret that they looked at gay porn that one time or that few times um, so oftentimes the use of gay porn with someone with hocd is going to be a compulsion so they're compuls- the, the compulsion is then to check whether or not they are turned on by it check to to see whether or not that they can orgasm while masturbating to it, um, checking to see if they are into it even in the least bit. Now, the fact that they watched this contributes back to the HOCD later on, where just like as we talked about in the last episode, the real event OCDs that they'll say, well, you know what? Remember last week or last year when I watched gay porn? Well, quote, gay people like gay porn and gay people watch gay porn and i watched gay porn so therefore i must be gay now by the way i'll say this i'm gonna say gay a lot um but fill in the blank also with lesbian porn or having lesbian fantasies because this will also absolutely apply to women in this same situation and i would essentially say that anything that i say here would apply to women as well but because the questions came from jake and joe jake and joe maybe jake and joe but uh they came from jake and joe so i'm going to refer to it as um say gay a lot in this you get the idea so as i previously said generally people with H O C D do not enjoy watching gay porn now it doesn't mean it's impossible but I'll, but to joe you asked is this normal so meaning part of the norm well I'll have to say no. It is not incredibly normal or normative that someone with HOCD does enjoy watching gay porn, as you've said that you do. Is it unheard of or exclusionary? Meaning that is it certainly impossible in watching gay porn or enjoying gay porn? Does that absolutely mean that you do not have HOCD? Um, well, I can't, say, I can't say no. I can't say that you are, that they are mutually exclusive and that, that um, they can't exist at the same time. And this is what makes this these two questions so difficult to answer, is that sexuality is incredibly complicated and incredibly diverse. We have this black and white view of sexuality. Yes, we often refer to the LGBT spectrum, LGBTQ. Um, category or community. Um, and we kind of talk about the sexuality spectrum, right? If you've heard of the Kinsey scale, it's a scale of, I, I believe, one to seven. Now I'm blanking on this as I'm talking about this. And it's it's a scale of 100% gay to 100% straight. And they actually find in that, in that massive research study that the vast majority of people are not ones or sevens, is that they are just one in is that they are uh, twos and sixes is the this is my memory of it, um, it so therefore no, the vast majority of people don't completely identify, but they have a thought or they have an interest or they have a notice from time to time. So, it's incredibly complicated. There are also folks out there, and this is not everybody, but this is some people, right? This is what we're talking about. Some people. Um, there are people who identify as gay who will sometimes have sex with an opposite-sex person. There are people who identify as heterosexual, straight, that will have sexual interactions with someone of the same sex. There are people who are bisexual who are—who— theoretically, are equally interested in men or women, but they often find that they are more, or they commonly are attracted to one, and that they may be more romantically attracted to one, but then have sex with the other gender. And all of that's to say is that when we have this idea that, that sexuality needs to fit in a box, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble, and it really confuses everyone. So to tack on OCD and doubt and questioning in that is really just throwing gasoline on an already hot nuclear fire with sexuality in general. So back to the the sexuality boxes. Um, Folks who kind of really just want to view the things as two boxes, straight gay. Within the straight box, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that you and I expect to be in there, right? Opposite sex interest, opposite sex dating, opposite sex attraction, opposite sex sex. Um, And that's the stuff that goes in that box. In the gay box is gay stuff, right? Now, we have this other box in between them sometimes, right? The bisexual box. It seems to be a combination of the two different boxes, right? Well, sometimes we say, okay, well, I'm not I'm not in, I don't see myself, or we say, I see myself in the straight box. Okay. But I noticed that guy, or I noticed that girl, or I noticed, or there was this time, or there was this feeling that I had, or from time to time I fantasize about. And it can feel like that stuff doesn't quite fit in our box, right? Right. Because there are a myriad of sexual activities and things that one can do that may or may not be associated with one of the other boxes, it can trip us up. It can confuse folks because all of a sudden I'm into or interested in this thing that doesn't fit into my box traditionally, right? So, what do I do? Well, instead of expanding the boxes— or realizing that the boxes aren't boxes, that they are on a spectrum, or that it's more like a buffet sometimes, that there are some things that you would grab and pull. We want to say, no, I need to be in a box, but my box doesn't fit anymore because I'm into that thing that's in that other box, or I kind of like, or I was tangentially, or that one time I was interested in the thing that fit in that box. (gasps) So now what does that mean about me? What does that say about everything that I've known about who it is that I am? What would it mean if people were to find out that I was interested in that thing from that other box? Oh, no. So, you can then see where the cycle continues, right? We're trying to justify or trying to rectify the fact that, or we're trying to justify or we're trying to square the reality that there was this thing that one time. So, I'm going to refer back again. I'm probably going to refer back again to that real event OCD quite a bit. We need to accept that there was that thing that happened that one time, or that thought that you had, or that interest, or that thing that you did. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this story. Somebody started watching pornography and they started going down this rabbit hole. They started watching this, which spawned this question, which spawned this video, which went to this thing. And you eventually get down to this one place that you would never typically initially go. And then all of a sudden you orgasm or you look at or you go, oh my gosh, I'm here. And then you go, I'm there. You were. And for whatever reason, in your um, turned-on drunk brain, you went there. And that's scary, because that now threatens this identity, this image, this thought about oneself. So, Jake and Joe, I also had the question that you had, is how many men are looking at gay porn? So, I naturally Googled that, and the thing that I came across was a article in Cosmo, so take it for what you will, but there was a gentleman named uh, Martin Downing, a PhD, and he surveyed 821 men, so this is from this article. Now, 821 men in the course of a research study isn't a bonkers amount of people, it's A big number, but it's not like ten thousand. That would be a really good number. So, so eight hundred twenty-one men asked them about their porn viewing habits. They found that fifty-five percent of gay men—I'm just kind of reading from the article—fifty-five percent of gay men reported watching opposite-gendered, oriented porn in the previous six months, while twenty-one percent of straight men reported watching same-sex porn in that same time frame. And bi men watch straight porn 88% of the time, which is lower than straight men watching uh, uh, straight porn uh, 98.5% of the time. So, that necessarily doesn't matter. But, notice that one statistic earlier. 21% of straight men reported watching same-sex porn in that same time frame. Now, I'm actually going to doubt this, and I wonder if same-sex means, quote, If these straight men are watching gay porn, so men on men sex, or if they're watching lesbian porn, um, obviously female with female. Porn. It doesn't specify that, unfortunately, and I might be reading into this, but I I would assume that at some point within that that study that um, some of that same-sex watching would also be men. Because I furthermore found a couple of different articles where straight men, straight-identified men, were reporting that they were, from time to time, watching gay porn. So, to Jake and Joe, it is not the most unheard-of thing that this is something that you are interested in. So, I suppose then the main question for both of you is, is this denial of your sexuality as a gay person, or is this HOCD with an acceptance issue? Well, I am going to address this as if it's HOCD. Now, I will say this at the front, and I'm probably going to say it at the end. You should go to a therapist to work on this and to process this more. So... I'm going to have to read into both of these questions a lot, and a therapist is going to have a better chance to ask follow-up questions, to process, to discuss the various issues, histories, thoughts, sensations, etc., and compulsions that are going into this, and to be able to work help you work through this. But that being said, I think that the end result of treatment ought to be the same. So, let's say it's denial. So. The goal would be to be working through the feared thought is going to be really, really helpful for you so that you can later on fully embrace your sexuality. Now, this is not a popular, perhaps, wanted thing for me to say right now, but let's say for funsies, Jake and Joe, that this is denial of your sexuality and that deep down you are truly gay or bisexual. Well, you're also reporting HOCD and you're calling me on this. So, I anticipate that there is some unwanted feeling, maybe some anxiety and fear or shame and guilt related to these things. So, being able to habituate to those thoughts when they are there, to be able to have sexual thoughts about men, and to be able to, if you are interested in watching gay porn, to be able to watch that without feeling excessive guilt, without overly responding to it in a compulsive manner, is going to be incredibly important to you to eventually have a fully functional, uh, flourishing sexuality. Now, let's say it's HOCD. Similarly, we're going to have to work towards tolerating the fact that you have gay thoughts so that you can fully embrace your sexuality as well. So, notice that either way, you're going to have to work towards tolerating and facing and overcoming this fear to have a fully functional, flourishing sexuality. The compulsions here often are going to be overly questioning oneself, ruminating about past experiences, gauging one's feelings about how turned on they are. Are they turned on with the other gender? Are they turned on appropriately? Are they feeling what they ought to be feeling in the appropriate parts of their body? Are they functioning appropriately? Did they have enough want, enough desire? And also, ultimately, anything that would prove that they're okay. Now, okay from what, you might ask? Okay from the terribleness happening. And that might be, again, it might be rejection. It might be isolation. It might be discovering that you don't fully and truly know yourself. It might be that no one is, or it might be that that you are with the wrong person and you're never going to be with the right person. I don't know what that is, and that's something to look at. All right, so moving on. So, Jake, you refer to having, quote, intrusive thoughts sexually about a man when you see that he's an attractive man. Well, I'll say this. We all get intrusive thoughts from time to time. And that's normal. All of us get them. And that's okay. Now, typically, in HOCD land or OCD world, we refer to intrusive thoughts often as ego dystonic, meaning it's not something that we enjoy, it's not something that lines up with who it is that we are, or the type of person that we ultimately would like to be. So, with the fact that you have intrusive thoughts, and the fact that you, quote, are, are having some problems with them, well, what is the problem? What is so terrifying about being asked if you are gay? What's so terrifying about the idea of being gay? Again, being rejected by others, being alone, the wrong gender, you get the idea. Similarly to Jake, you said you wish you had the answers of who it is that I am. So perhaps I'm wondering for you if it's this this core fear that, that you'll never really know yourself. You never really know what box you're in. You never know what category to fall into. And there's a lot of questions and confusion that goes about with that. And there's a lot of assumptions that goes about with that as well. All right, so what about for treatment? What do we do with this? Well, if you were in treatment, and by the way, I'm going to recommend that both of y'all seek out treatment. The common line of questioning that would have to take place in that is to evaluate the genuine romantic attraction towards men. A typical, kind of, typical questions with that would be um, found in the cognitive restructuring piece and the assessment piece, and it's to see whether or not there is genuine HOCD, the genuine HOCD cycle going on, and to what degree that's going on, or to what degree there might be denial going on. Now, as I mentioned earlier, with both of these things, whether it's denial or whether it's HOCD, my perspective as a therapist, as an anxiety therapist, is I don't really care I say that in the best possible way. I said this in my HSD episode as well. I don't really care what the outcome is of your sexuality. My opinion is, or my goal for you is is to tolerate thoughts and to overcome anxiety. The result of that is mysterious. The result of that is somewhere off ages and ages hence in the future that you and I can't predict. I don't know what your sexuality is. Generally speaking, if HOCD, you're coming to me saying, hey, I'm straight, and I have these thoughts. They're scary. So, I'm going to say, okay, you're straight. Let's go do these exposures so you can tolerate gay thoughts that you're getting from time to time. Now, I don't know the outcome of that. And if you're entering treatment in order to seek certainty for your desired sexuality, you're going into it wrong. And you're going to only be disappointed in treatment and in your therapist. We don't know what your sexuality is. Our goal isn't to prove that you're straight. Your goal should not be to prove that you're straight either, but is instead to go in and tolerate thoughts and uncertainty. John Hirschfeld has a great article about this. He talks about the difference between confidence and certainty. It's, it's, they're similar, but there's a tremendous difference between these two. Confidence is being relatively sure of something. Certainty is knowing is knowing for certain that something is going to happen, it is what it is, you know where it's going to go. It's being positive on it. Confidence has error bars. And in fact, in statistics, they call this a confidence rating. They give the number, and then they say, well, with a certain level of confidence— now, that doesn't mean it's this is the number that it is, but they can say with relative confidence, it's going to be X. I'll give you an example, a very tired example. That I'm sure you've bored of me saying I can be confident that I'm going to get home alive in my car tonight, but I cannot be certain. I will know that I've not died in my car when I get home when I'm there. But between now and the time that I get home, who knows? But you know what? I haven't died in my car before. So... I can feel relatively confident that I'm going to be okay. We can rely on this confidence, and that's part of that cognitive restructuring piece. We're looking at the history. We're looking at who it is that you are, the patterns that you've developed. Historically speaking, you've 100%, or typically speaking to someone who's, who, who works with me on this, they're going to say things like, and this is not Jake and Joe necessarily, but they'll say things like, you know what, historically speaking, I've always been attracted to women historically speaking, I've always pursued relationships with women. I've always been attracted to and turned on by women. I've always had sex with women. I've always fantasized sexually about women. Um, and now these thoughts are scaring me. They're egodystonic. Help me. They're scary. Right? So, we can say, okay, historically speaking, this has been the case about you. So, we're going to take this confidence off into the future, but we're going to accept the uncertainty as we progress into it while we work towards tolerating your uncertainty, because everybody who's come out Identified as straight at some point, everybody. Most people, I haven't interviewed every gay person on earth. The vast majority of folks, though, will go through life go assuming that they're straight, and then they start noticing, they start thinking, and then they eventually go through the coming out process. Jake and Joe, I don't know if this is you. Other listeners, I don't know if this is you either. But we go with that confidence and that we discover what's gonna happen on on the other end. Now, this is probably the scariest thing that I have said in this episode so far for someone who's listening to this. This is where acceptance comes in. For you, Jake and Joe, this is what's going to be important. Again, think about what's at risk by accepting that you have gay fantasies and they are a part of who you are. They are. You've identified them as things that you like. I'm not here to stomp on things that you like. You like those thoughts. Okay. Colloquially speaking, I'll say, so what? What do you fear? What are you afraid to lose? This may be the key to accepting the fear and to moving on with it, because that's the thing that you're going to have to sit with. That's the thing that you're going to have to challenge, and that's the thing that you're going to have to learn to tolerate, whatever that outcome is. If you want to accept this part of you, that comes with this potential outcome, right? From an act perspective, I'd say you're fighting with this reality that you're into this thing. So what does it look like to stop fighting? To say, yeah, that's who I am. But then what's on the other end of that, right? You see what I'm saying? So when you decide what you're afraid of, that's where you're going to start to do exposures. When you're going to start to look at just tolerating the thought, simply tolerating the thought of what you're afraid of. Maybe that everybody's going to leave you. Maybe that you're going to spend the rest of your life in anguish, not knowing which box you fit in. Maybe that you're going to judge yourself forever that you fit into the quote, wrong boxes. Or mourning the fact that you don't fit into that other box that you always wanted to fit into. Furthermore, scripting this is going to go a long way. Writing out that story actually happening, it's not fun, but writing that story out as if it's actually happening. What, were the, what are the things that your family would say, your brother, sister, uh, cousin, uncle, mother, father, what would they all say? What's the describing the look on their faces when they discover it, when they acknowledge it, when it is discovered that you are into that thing. (sighs) What would that feel like? And sit with that and sit with that enough until you are bored with it. That would be an important place to go with this. But Jake and Joe, I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm going to encourage you again to go seek therapy for this, to go work this out. And there's going to be a lot of acceptance in this. The fact is, both of you have this interest. Both of you have watched gay porn. Um, and it sounds like that you, that you want this, I'm assuming, as part of your life. Okay. Can you be a straight person and be into this? Is that an acceptable combination of boxes? Are you willing to accept that as part of who it is that you are? Or are you simply saying, no, I only can be in one box? that I think is going to be the biggest work for you. And unfortunately, I can't solve that problem for you on this podcast. But Jake and Joe, I do appreciate you both, if it is both, sending me this message. And I I hope uh, in the time that you've uh, entered therapy, the times you worked through this, or you've uh, developed an epiphany. And if you do, if you have, and if this episode was helpful, please feel free to message me or provide other caveats. I think uh, listeners would be very interested to hear. So, thank you so much, and best of luck. Okay, everybody, that was the episode. Thank you so much for making it through this episode. Um, If you have any questions about this stuff that we talked about, if you would like to add anything that I missed to Jake, Joe, or Rebecca, uh, feel free to message me. I will add this to a future episode because I think that some of these folks may want to hear it. The Jake and Joe questions, they were complicated and there was a lot of assumptions and I'm certain I missed something or misspoke or something to that effect. So feel free to add that and I will add that to a future episode. All right. Everybody, if you're going to go to the ICDF conference, fantastic. Perhaps I will see you in a chat room. Uh, If you do, and you listen, say hi. That'll be delightful. Um, Lastly, everybody, please remember that FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about treatment or want some extra support, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. There'll be some links um, in the find help uh, section there. Lastly, everybody, please remember to take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.